65 minutes starting now. David, David? Sure. This, sure. Have we found the airplane that you won't fly yet? Here's what I want to know. Have you seen the pictures of this? Uh, this is a helicopter hang glider. I've never seen such a thing before. I uh, just had an opportunity a few minutes ago to watch the video attached to the story uh, by my friend Dan Johnson. Uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, <laughs> yeah, laugh, laugh. I would laugh. That's like a pretty well, very you know, it's, air, it, aircraft. It's 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 a you know it's an auto gyro hang glider. Yep. Uh, when you when you when you really get down to how most auto gyros have been built and controlled, this really isn't anything new. What they did was put the guy in a harness and took away the rolling hardware. And the support post for the, the the rotor and the seat and all that jazz, put the guy in a hang glider harness, suspended him from uh, the CG underneath the rotor head, and let him foot launch it on a tow behind a, a, a an automobile. Yeah. Uh, so for people who can't who are obviously aren't looking at this video at the same time that we are, this is a it, it, it's. It's it, well, tube and fabric without the fabric, right? It's just this. It's just the frame of an aircraft, but there's no seat. The uh, as you describe, the the operator of this aircraft is hanging beneath the the uh, axis of the rotor blades, and the rotors are spinning. I mean, that, and then it's just an auto gyro, like we've seen many times. I it, I don't know whether why it's strike. I mean, intellectually, I go, oh yeah, that'll work, and then but well, emotionally, absolutely. I go, no. Frackin' way, right? Well, like- re- reading, reading down through DJ's piece here, apparently this is uh, a Russian origin- origination. Oh, well, that I, explains it right I there. I can't help wondering how much vodka was involved. <laughs> That's right. Well, so, I'll, tell you, I'll, yeah. I'll tell you, having learned years before that was perfected, having learned how to tow up uh, on a hang glider uh, behind both a vehicle uh, with a winch playing out playing out the rope uh, behind a high-speed uh, 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 ski boat with a winch playing out the rope uh, and in relearning how to tow uh, in a much more controllable fashion where the, the tow line attaches to the pilot's harness and not the, the, the aircraft itself. Uh, and looking at this, I, I, I say, you know, there's really nothing new here except... The kind of vehicle being used, because the theories are all the same as yeah. a regular gyrocopter and a regular hang glider. Yeah. You just displaced a tube and Dacron wing with a, a, a rotary wing. And the long run to get 
the rotor up to yeah, take was, off speed. That would be a little bit toxic. <laughs> it was pretty funny because towards the end, he's still running and he's like, his legs are, it's, it's, they're almost cartoon physics. His legs are like spinning on the ground because he's too, the thing is going too, he's not flying yet, but it's like going too fast for him to really run. And uh, the last 10 steps or so, it was like his feet were skidding. He was almost falling down. And then finally the thing, you know, went airborne and, uh, um, and he really flew it. So I guess, all right. So you'd fly one of these. Uh, with, uh, you know, with an opportunity to practice, uh, on something that would roll when I screwed it up. Yeah, I know. Uh, now, but yeah, yeah, about, sure. The, 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 the theories and, and the control movements are all the same as what I learned to fly on. Yeah, but you got that thing like swooping just, around over your just head. Make, make, make sure your death and dismemberment policy is I paid know, up. I know. Now, what about, what about auto gyros in general, a traditional auto gyro, um, has either of you ever? I mean, now, Jeb, you are notorious for. Although you insist that you don't have a thing about helicopters, we all know that you really do. And <laughs> I'm not the sure. Man, the man who that. used to send his emails, helicopter, noun, a rotating mass of metal fatigue surrounded by an oil leak. <laughs> so, anyways, not, hey, not that I have a thing about helicopters. We have some really great helicopter people who listen to the podcast. We're just joking around here, all right. But, uh, anyways, has either of you ever flown an auto gyro, which is not really a helicopter? Uh, it's you know, it's sort of this combination. Oh, between, it absolutely, really is not a helicopter. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a combination between a helicopter and a real aircraft. And uh, so, the quick answer is no, Jack. I've never flown one. Okay, um, <laughs> David, have you? Uh, years and years ago. Uh, an opportunity came my way to get towed up behind a, a, a truck in a little no-engine autogyro rig, not too different than the one in this video, mm-hmm. except I got to sit in a seat, and we had three wheels below me, and uh, helmet, seat belt, all strapped down. Is this solo? And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and basically uh, the, uh, the the whole deal was that you got to go in about 35 miles an hour for about a half a mile, and you got enough rotation speed in the rotor, and you lift it up. And as long as the vehicle maintains some tension, you could learn to use the little tiller to steer a little bit left, a little bit right, and to uh, give yourself a little bit of slack in the rope and come down and take slack away and slow down and come up more at an angle like. You were dragging up a box kite. Uh, and uh, then when they started to run out of road, they just basically stopped and <laughs> you hopefully well, flew. You went, this, you this, went flying right over where they were and touched down before the rope got tight again. This, oh, okay. this strikes me as, as like, you know, eating, eating crabs at a crab house um, where you have to, you know, pick them apart and everything like that. And it, it's a lot of work for not much meat. Well, that's true. That's true. But the, the whole point of this particular vehicle was to help a uh, home builder who had built one of these, and it was from Benson, if I, memory serves me, Benson Auto Gyros. Right. Uh, this was their trainer. Uh-huh. And with no engine on it, it's not going to get airborne on its own, and it had a slightly smaller rotor blade diameter because it wasn't carrying as much weight. Uh so it got up in the air a little more quickly than one would have with the larger rotor diameter. It took less time for it to spin up. But it was basically how they taught you to fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then you got in your one with an engine, and off you went. Because yeah. most of these didn't come in two-seat versions. The little four-cylinder, two-stroke, 
oh, about 60 horsepower drone engines that they were throwing on these things. Uh, really didn't have the, and, and, and they were direct drive prop blades, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, which probably helped inaugurate my hearing loss. What? My hearing <laughs> loss. Uh, yeah. But it was really, it was really kind of cool. I know. Uh, you know, and I know that my, some of my earliest, you know, flying fantasies, you know, my uh, desire to, to, to fly were from looking at the autogyro th- in the, uh, the classifieds of popular science magazine. Remember, there always used to be an ad in the back sure. there for. Oh, uh, and this little black and white uh, afternoon uh, educational television program, you know, believe it or not, and this man built his own aircraft. It's a little like a helicopter. It's a little like a hummingbird, and it goes like crazy. And it was Igor Benson going. Yeah. Sadly, he's no longer with us. But you can build your own. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's right. right. Yeah. So, Jeb, would you fly one of these given the opportunity? It depends on the circumstances. Okay. The, the, that vodka thing. Into, it's that vodka one, thing we're talking about. Yeah. Right? One, one of the um, is in, one of the, the um, airports I go into around here for fuel, Wachula, Florida. Uh, there's a couple of Benson gyrocopters that are in the pattern. Is that sometime. the place where we went for gas when I was down yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and uh, they, they look like they're having a blast. Um, and, uh, of course, those are fairly well sorted out and, and uh, you know, the design's been oh, around it, for, for a number of years. It definitely bears pointing out that the uh, gyrocopters, gyroplanes, the stuff that's now available, uh, a lot of it under the light sport categorization. Uh, boy, these ships are head and shoulders uh, ahead of what we were seeing right, 25, 30, and 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. 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 So yeah, the punchline is it depends. I mean, it depends on the vehicle, it depends on the circumstances. Um, um, yeah, but maybe. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. It's just a podcast. You don't have to. <laughs> yeah, you're not, you're not going to marry the thing. This is just a, this is just a well, date. Well, even then, you know, no, uh, no, no, even no. if Let's it's even if it's a one night stand, you know, <laughs> some of that stuff can last forever. Yeah, that's right. Welcome, folks, to episode one hundred and seventy-five of Uncontrolled Airspace, <laughs> the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on uh, Tuesday evening, March sixteenth, twenty ten. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar are two of my good friends. First of all, Jeb Burnside is out there. He's talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How you doing, Jeb? I'm good. Um, uh, starting to warm up finally down here. Oh, that's what not you were. That's not what you were saying a minute ago. Well, war, it, warm up is a relative term. Yeah, uh, it was 55 or so this morning. It's it probably chillier here today than it was where you are. Well, I'll today. talk about that. It was beautiful here up in uh, in New Hampshire yeah. today. I mean, we had a we had a high overcast, so the sun didn't really warm things up. And uh, um, I rode rode a bike to work yesterday and uh, got a little chilled on the way home. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I drove this morning. I'm kind. Of, I'm, I'm glad I did because it was it was chilly all day. Yeah, that but airport. We'll get out of this. Yeah, that airport. By the way, what did you say? What was it called? Wachula. 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 You know, I guess I've been living here in the big city, if you want to call Dover the big city, for too long because I remember the the thing that struck me, and this is kind of a sad commentary on small airports, but nevertheless, it was so quiet. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, and I'm not talking about 
it, it was kind of sad that an airport was hadn't didn't have a lot of activity. But but the fact that there was no activity, it was silent. All right, we were out there in the kind of middle, sort of middle of Florida, you know, and uh, on a it was a was it a weekday afternoon? I'm not sure. I don't remember. I don't remember the exact circumstances. But it was so quiet. It was just like yeah. nice. It was beautiful. I liked yeah. it. I like. Oh, it. that if that was Wachula, that was a weekday because on weekends it's anything but quiet yeah. around that. Yeah, it normally is on the weekends, and normally you know there's. Uh, a couple of aircraft coming or going or something like that. Traditionally, they've had the cheapest fuel in the region. Um, that position has been has been overtaken <clears throat> recently, um, at least temporarily. Um, but usually, they're they're you know I, I usually see someone coming or going uh, each time I'm there. Uh, and the the gyrocopters there's there's two of them. I remember. Uh, uh, on several occasions, I've seen two of them in the pattern. Sometimes just one, but but I've seen definitely two of them. Or that, or I should not be flying. Um, and um, um, they look like they're having a blast. Yeah, and I have to tell you, it was not cold there. That I'm sorry, I was trying to keep muted until the train went by, but I didn't make it. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, it was not cold that day, Jeb. If you'll recall, it was. Yeah, that was last summer. I was I recall. Yeah, well, it was yeah, October. We were, that was when we were going out to. Uh, we were going to Wichita, so I think oh, it was October. Right. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's a that's a warm time of year even here. So uh, it was pretty warm that day, uh, but it was quiet. Hey, also here with me in the hangar is uh, Dave Higdon, who's joining us from Wichita, Kansas. And uh, Dave, Dave is a little toughed up tonight. Uh, he's uh, he's got the cold, right, Dave? Uh, well, let's just say we've been battling some kind of uh, uh, evil internal body spirit, and we're slowly <laughs> starting to take command of the situation. Okay, yeah, I think we've all had it. I had it a couple, well, three, four weeks ago. Jeb, you had it a month or six weeks ago yeah. or so. And uh, who knew uh, that Skype could spread things like yeah, this? No, really, huh? It's it's a computer virus, I guess. That's right. Yeah. So what's up, David? How you doing? Other than the cold? Uh, actually. Kind of enjoying warm weather, watching a couple of owls uh, and a hawk that hunt the field next to my house. Mm. And I know that may sound strange. I actually live in the center of Wichita, uh, housing all around us, but we got this nature preserve right yeah. next door. It's a really Lots of wild spot. critters. Yeah. And uh, the uh, airplane traffic starting to pick up a little bit overhead. And, uh, got a, an appointment tomorrow to go down and kill, murder, slaughter, assassinate. Two, maybe three hours at Dead Cow International. Cool, cool. You've been on any for the for the offense of being there. So, <laughs> any secret missions lately that you can't talk about? Oh, you can't talk about them. All right, never mind. Well, hey, and I'm Jack Hodgson. That's and nothing I'm, that got me on the road. So, and that is Jack Hodgson. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm talking to you from the home office in Dover, New Hampshire, uh, where the weather is is like New England weather. This is like textbook New England weather. We had. On last Sunday, two days ago, we had seven inches of rain. No exaggeration, yeah. we had seven yeah. inches of rain. The rivers are all flooded. Everything's going crazy, and it was gray and nasty for like a week. And then today, it was like Noah's Ark, man. I mean, the sun came out, and it was gorgeous. And the, you know, the doves were bringing olive branches, and I mean, it was just. You're, you're, you didn't find your apartment <laughs> perched up on a mountaintop. No, no, no. I'm I'm in good shape okay. here, but they're uh, a little short. But, but their okay. roads closed all over the place because rivers have overflowed their banks. It's kind of crazy here right now. But uh, today, temperature-wise, you know, sun sky-wise, it was a gorgeous, gorgeous day. And it's supposed to be that way the rest of the week. So it's going to be really cool. I'm good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So anyways, let's see now. What's going on in the world of aviation that we can talk about? Oh, sad news. Sad news. Yes, very sad. David, you knew John Baker. I had the pleasure of working for him for, you know, when uh, for I a first, short time. 
got involved as when I first started learning how to fly. All right, AOPA was led by this guy, and I didn't know very much of what was going on, but I got a sense that this was a great man. This was a pioneer. This was a man who really made a difference. And right about that time is when he he retired, um, and uh, and Phil Boyer took over. But uh, I, tell me a little bit about John Baker. John Baker was a, a, a college football player, a Korean War combat veteran, uh, a, uh, a lawyer, a former FAA assistant administrator, uh, and uh, for, I don't know, 18 years or so, 19 years, headed up uh, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. And between John and a gentleman named Max Carrant, mm-hmm. Charlie Spence uh, in communications. I taking nothing away from today's crop of leaders of the various alphabet groups, but I don't think the planet has ever seen a set of voices and advocates for any kind of community that outreached what these guys accomplished and and, and their their absolute. No, no, no holds barred passion for what they represented. And that's the right word, passion. Yeah. Uh, John Baker was good enough to sit down for me with me for a magazine interview uh, when I was working for a little book called Glider Rider Magazine, Hang Gliding and Ultralight Magazine. And my education in general aviation was really thin at that point. Uh, and. John sat down, offered me a cigarette, asked if I had needed any coffee. Uh, while we were getting comfortable, he, he said, uh, before we get started, I just want you to know, my language is a little bit salty. You use what you want and take out what you want according to whatever your magazine standards are, but I'm not going to change how I talk for the magazine interview. Just don't make me look like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he would have said it exactly that way. Yeah. Well, and I put that into the interview, and my editor came along and said, do we really want to say that about this guy? You know, I mean, how's he apt to react to it? And I said, he's the guy that volunteered it. I think it's crucial to the nature of understanding the guy that we're dealing with here that you understand what he's like on the inside, what he's like when he's at home, when he's on his home turf. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't need to pull any punches. Uh, so we took the interview from that point on, and what we published left very little uh, room for doubt about what kind of language was being used in parts where we edited for the family audience that we believed we had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and about a year later, John offered me a job in the PR department at, at AOPA, and I, I, I went to work there, got to know him even better. Uh, my respect for him went up. Uh, you know, very human guy. I mean, if you if if you were around in that era, you knew far more about the public versus private lives of a lot of association people, not just John or or others. And none of that stuff ever made it into ink. It wouldn't today, unless it somehow showed up on an arrest blotter. Uh, but John was very, very, very aggressive about his representation, non-apologetic about where he came from, uh, deeply passionate about the members that he represented. I'm talking about a guy who learned to fly in a J-3. Mm-hmm. 
and went on in very short order to fly the most advanced combat jets that the world had around at the time, fighting uh, uh, North Korea and, and, and Chinese Air Force pilots, and uh, and then came back and turned those uh, combat instincts and tenacity uh, in a, a more peaceful vein, but with no less, no less uh, vengeance for the people that got in the, the wrong side of things. Yeah. So, yeah, Jeb, you, what was your experience with with Baker? I I, I knew him um, <clears throat> professionally. I, I did not know Baker um, uh, personally. I didn't work for AOPA or anything like that at the time. Uh, but back when I was working on Capitol Hill, um, he, when he was still president, um, we. Uh, uh, on several occasions, we had gotten together, and, and, uh, uh, and there was there was no doubt where John Baker stood. Uh, he let you know, mm-hmm. uh, and that's uh, very refreshing uh, compared to to these days. Um, there's, you know, a school of thought that says, well, his 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 way of doing things uh, is old school and, and isn't effective, and and you know makes more enemies than friends and, and things like that. Um, I don't know, uh, if, if that's all true. I don't know if, uh, uh, um, it, it's better to, to, to make friends. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know. Baker seemed to come from the, the, the standpoint of, uh, I don't want them to be my friend. I want them to respect me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, that to me is perhaps the, the more preferred way to, to, uh, engage in some of these, um, I won't call them battles, but there's certainly conflicts, uh, certainly disagreements over over the over policy and different different directions in which to take things. Um, yeah. You know, compare compare that environment um, in, in in so many ways the GA status of the GA industry, um, uh, status of so many things to today's environment, and uh, I don't know that Baker's methods would would work as well now. Uh, the flip side of which is I kind of wish someone would employ them just for grins to see if they would work. Well, not not just that, because I think actually a lot of what John was able to accomplish was based on behind-the-scenes work Sure, that only succeeded because of some of that public persona. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Senator, how many letters can I put you down for? That you know, and how many how many members do you have to hear from before you wake up and smell the coffee? Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Right. Do, yeah. We, do we have Do we have to fly into your rally? Uh, yeah. That and uh, if you look at where general aviation is today and the access that we continue to have uh, and the uh, the influence that we've maintained in our own affairs. Despite a very, very motivated opposition in the last 50 years, yeah. uh, we wouldn't have a fraction of what we enjoy today if it hadn't been for John, uh, John Wynan at NBAA and Paul Bobresny at EAA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, like- those three guys were at a time and an era where GA didn't get respect at the level that it deserved and was warranted given the number of people participating, uh, these guys helped change that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just, just to pick up on one thing that Dave mentioned, 
<clears throat> excuse me, um, a lot of of what we enjoy today and a lot of of what we have today as far as access and 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 freedoms to um, to fly and and you know we still don't have to file a flight plan we still don't have to talk to somebody we still don't have to get government approval to to operate an aircraft um that's certainly the way it should be but i think uh, more importantly a lot of that has its roots in um just the uh, the obstinance uh, of people like john baker back in the day when a lot of the uh uh, existing and long-standing uh, policies concerning aviation in this country were formulated and, and reinforced. And uh, if if he wasn't around at the time, if 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 John Wynant and, and Ed Stimson and, and Paul Pobrezny's weren't around at the time, uh, I, I dare say things would be a little bit different. Yeah. Well, like I said, um, it was obvious even to this newcomer uh, 20 years ago that uh, a very special uh, uh, player was was leaving the aviation scene. Um, fortunately, he was able to enjoy 20 years of retirement, um, but sadly, he passed away a few days ago uh, in, at his home in uh, North Carolina. And uh, even though he's been off the stage for a while, it's obvious that he will be missed. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yes, it is. Moving on here. Let's see now. Um, so uh, uh, there's a, a person, an aviation person who I follow on Twitter, uh, a woman by the name of Maria Langer, and uh, she posted a tweet recently uh, where she was crowing about the fact. She says, got a 20 cent per gallon discount on Avgas just by asking for it. And you know what? I, this never occurred to me. Does this work? Have you guys ever tried this? Have you ever tried yeah. to negotiate for Avgas on the ramp? Um, I've uh, <clears throat> negotiated Avgas in Chidam. You know, I can imagine negotiate. I guess it's all the same thing. I, you know, the tie down. You know, you can't say I bought. I bought some gas, so give me the tie down. You know, or or whatever. But uh, yeah, you can. Twenty cents a gallons. I mean, I mean, admittedly, that's you know, av gas is pretty expensive. You know, even compared to auto gas. But but that's nothing to sneeze at. Twenty ga- Twenty cents. And uh, no, it's not. It's not. I. I, <clears throat> I guess it. All, you know. Again, it all depends. It depends on where you are. Um, try that at, at you know Signature Teterboro, and, and um, I don't think it's going to work too well. Try that at at uh, mom and pop municipal um, when there's nothing else going on, and you'll probably be just fine. Um, there's a lot of of um, places I've gone, and, and, and some of them uh, either of uh, of you have been with me, uh, where you know you kind of pop in and and you kind of have to kick the dog out of the way to to walk into the operations building and. And uh, hey, I need some gas, and and uh, oh yeah, yeah, I'll be right there, and and uh, well, you know, can I can I help you? What can I, you know? It, it's it's a lot more laid back at some of these. Uh huh. Stop, stop at an airport in Central Texas back in October. Yeah. Where we had a self service pump and a card reader for the credit card, and there was a plane land ahead of us, a CAP, Civil Air Patrol airplane. Those guys tied down, packed up, and left before we even started topping off the airplane. We didn't know anybody else was there until we went into the the ops building right. to use the loo. And there's two guys sitting inside around a pot-bellied stove, whittling on wood, chewing tobacco with a couple of hound dogs. And it, how's it going? It's fine. Do you have any trouble with the pumps? Nope. You need the restroom? Yep, right there. By the way, we got fresh coffee if you want it. Nobody got up, not even the dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 
but we only paid like three ten a gallon. So yeah, about about a month ago, I stopped in a place um, somewhere in Alabama, Mississippi. I forget which. Um, and uh, you know, huge like you know five thousand foot runway, um, fresh pavement, uh, nicely striped. Um, taxied up to the pumps. Gas was about as cheap as it gets, and and uh, a woman came out and and um, she. I, I said, look, you know, I don't want you to do this by yourself. I'll, I'll have a lot of gas to pump here. I'll do it, and and yada yada yada, and and uh, um. Wrestled the hose around, and we started talking. And yeah, oh, so and then nice airplane. Oh, so and so will be back in, in a little while. And you know, if you got any questions, you can ask him. He's out. He's out. He's ferrying a cub back from somewhere, and and you know this kind of thing. And walked inside, and and uh, they didn't have a, a vending machine. They had like a cooler, and a little box on top of the cooler. If you wanted a soft drink, it was fifty cents. You wanted a candy bar, it was fifty cents. And you're on the honor system, and and uh, um, not just nice and quiet little place, and and a lot of room to just kind of roam around, and and this kind. Of, now I didn't, you know, I didn't uh, try to you know, jack down the price of gas or anything like that. It wasn't that big a deal, but uh, at places like that, yeah, you can you can say, look, you know, especially if you're buying a bunch or or uh, uh, if you're coming in and out of there a lot, you can usually get a pretty good deal. One of the airports in t- in uh, in Georgia, I go to a lot. Uh, um, I, I get you know just because I they know me and whatnot. I, I tend to get a pretty good deal on gas, and, and they never charge me for a tie down or or anything like that. Some other services they they give me, I, I, I they don't they don't charge me for. Again, it just kind of depends. Well, we 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 we've done a couple of we we did a number of trips where we knew where we were going far enough in advance to use one of these fuel finder services, right, and came up with some decent prices. That meant getting seventy five hundred miles off the Great Circle, and by calling airports closer to the Great Circle and saying, "Wow, you know, even though we had the prices on the list, we call and say, "Wow, uh, we're planning on flying through and was wondering what your fuel prices are. Oh, really? Oh, well." That's okay. We'll see you on another trip. Because so and so, seventy miles off, there, there's right. thirty cents a gallon cheaper. Oh well, what's your tail number again? Yep. Well, if you stop in with that tail number, just tell them that you talked to us, and we'll we'll match their price. Yeah. Yeah. It was always you know when you're buying forty five, fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty gallons of gas, thirty cents was worth the cost of the phone call. Oh yeah. And oh, you yeah. just don't know sometimes. Uh, right, right. There's yeah. an airport that I used to go in and out of multiple times a year where I prevailed on one of the partners in the FBO. And there were two FBOs at this airport. Uh, one of the partners of the FBO that, you know, how often I came through ought to, ought to warrant some kind of resident discount. And he put me on an account where I paid 10 cents less a gallon on a regular basis. But first three nights were free and if uh-huh. i bought more than 30 gallons however long i stayed was free no tie down yeah. just because he knew coming into that airport i could go to that other guy half a mile up the ramp yeah right jeb i know from flying with you that you use um the fuel finder price finder thing that's part of what air nav right air nav yeah yeah, yeah. and uh I, I played around a little bit with that you know around that time and and it 
provide you with some interesting information and uh, you know helps you find things along your route and you know best it, price it in the area. I mean, and one of the one of the bigger values uh, too, and, and I'm sure there are other services out there like like AirNavs, but um, one of the services I, I like about that is the user comments. Um, How are those people, useful? Well, you know. It, um, Facilities clean, oh, or okay. you know, they just they just repaved the runway, or uh, um, they got a great uh, crew car. Uh, and then if you go into town and take a, a left at the second light, there's a you know a great little uh, uh, barbecue joint. You know things like that mm-hmm. that just passing through you'll never know about. But if yeah. you do a little bit of research, or it, even if you're on the ground, you know there and say, hey, you know, we're kind of hungry. Can can we borrow a car and go into town for lunch? Might you recommend someplace? You may or may not get lucky and find that little out of the way barbecue joint, yeah. or, the, or the or the fish shack, or, right. or you know whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, let's take take time and smell something other than the avgas. Well, mm-hmm. not that that's bad, but yeah, I get your point. Thanks to uh, Maria Langer for uh, the suggestion. Maria is uh, M Langer, M L A N G E R on Twitter. If you're so inclined. Uh, here's another airplane for Dave. No, I'm not sure if I want to. <laughs> This airplane, if you want to call it an airplane, and I guess maybe it's not technically an airplane, um, is something of a rage on the uh, on the internet these days. I've seen it yeah. referred to a number of different places, and I quite frankly am like horrified by it. Um, it's a hovercraft. It's sort of a off the shelf, if you will, store bought hovercraft that this guy. This is in New Zealand. Has affixed um, stubby wings to it and a t- and some and an empennage of, of sorts. And uh, he manages to get it a little bit higher, you know, uh, you know, above the ground effect that's just produced by the hovercraft, by the, you know, the built-in skirt and so forth, and gets it maybe, what would you say, eight or ten feet off the ground. It, it, it. Well, there's there's a couple of there's a couple of uh, yeah. shots there, where he uses energy to gain altitude, and he actually gets out of ground effect for the wingspan. Yeah, but not for very long. Not for very long. Maybe I'm a big Not wimp, but long. I just I'm horrified by this. This is just insanely dangerous, if you ask me. Um, it's not only dangerous to begin with, just like the the one that I did. You guys see the video um, that was from the New Zealand? I think it was New Zealand, but the news the newscast where the woman reported. Oh yeah, the Sky News. Yeah, thing. that's that's the one. That's one we had the link. All right, yeah. so she goes for a ride by simply climbing in, and she's basically like sort of perched up behind uh-huh. the guy. All right, she's not strapped in, and she's, she's making a joke in. about you know no helmet, and look, I'm not even strapped in, and I'm watching this going, oh my god, this is bad. Well, she is wearing a helmet. Was she wearing a helmet? But, okay, no, she's yeah, not. She's she, not she strapped in, but she was not she's strapped wearing, in. She's wearing a personal flotation device, and just to go, just so to show you that the body will float yeah. when she's dead. Yeah, right. Because they came really, they, they kind of made a thing out of it, all right, but they came really close to having a real tragedy mm-hmm. because yeah. this guy was zooming this thing, mostly staying over the water, but at one point he passed over this sort of spit of land, all right, mm-hmm. and something happened. I don't know whether he snagged the ground or, or a bush or something like that. Oh, he dragged a wingtip or something. Yeah, and uh, apparently it got real squirrely for a couple seconds. And of course, at that point, you know, for the dramatic effect, the news report freeze framed at that point and go, oh, and, you know. And, 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 and as an addendum to my observation that he got it out of ground effect, yeah, he only did that solo. He did not do that with the young lady on board. Oh no, I think she was there. I'm pretty sure not, she she didn't get out of ground effect with the woman. Oh, on board. oh, right. But they did fly over the spit of land where he they dragged. They did fly over the spit of land, and yeah. you know, and, yeah. 
I, I just, this is just, this is the kind of thing. I'm sorry. See, I'm just like being. Yeah, the, the look on her face is priceless. <laughs> yeah, a couple okay. of I was going to say, man, I, he, it wouldn't have taken much to strap her in, and it wouldn't have done much good. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. You know, they, the, one of the things they talked about was this guy who built this thing. He was like crowing about the fact that, oh, and I don't have a pilot's license, you know, and I and, and I don't think he needed a pilot's license necessarily <laughs> to fly this thing. But it does beg the question of at what point does something like this become an airplane? Do you guys know? Is there a, is there a I mean, and this is New Zealand. Let's just imagine. Well, I was going to say that I can't state for New Zealand. Yeah, let's just imagine this where we're in the States. What, here, what makes it an airplane? At what point does a ground effect vehicle become an airplane? I, I don't know. Is it a hide off the ground thing? Get out of the ground let, effect? Let, let me put it this way. I'm going to I'm gonna fall back on the instincts that I know from a buddy of mine that works at 800 Independence. And that is, if it gets as high as the FAA regulates a tethered balloon, yeah. which I think is 150 feet, you, then they're, they're going to have something to say about it. Well, that's but for if sure. If you put a second body in it, they're going to have something to say about it from the instant you break the surface. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, okay, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was crazy. And I, I hate to be a, be a, a, I don't know what you want to call it, but. Party party pooper? Yeah, party pooper. This is the kind of thing that gets us all, it gives us, you know, this is bad PR in the making, man. This is like bad PR waiting to happen. Well, that's it's not an airplane, though. It's a hovercraft. Yeah, but all the news stories right. wanted to call it an airplane. They don't make that distinction. I didn't. Well, I didn't like this news. Yeah. Story. Well, and, 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 and unfortunately, that's where the battle is lost because he who controls the message controls the reception. Right. right. Yeah. So, anyways, we'll put a link. This is uh, from uh, LiveLeak.com. If you wanted to uh, Google flying hovercraft, you'll probably find it. Or, of course, we'll have a, a link in the show notes. Um, and I would fly it. But I wouldn't ride in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, story from uh, one of our favorite aviation publications, the New York Times. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, th- th- this is actually there's actually two stories here. Um, it, just in the news recently, um, they've started another expedition. This has to do with the Brazilian uh, flight four four seven, Air France four four seven crash France, yeah. uh, from quite some time ago. Now, when was it? It was like uh, last last June one. Yeah. And uh, and and of course the you know the big thing that we would love all love to find is the flight recorders and they still haven't found the flight recorders um, nor for that matter large portions of the of the aircraft itself. And Those flight recorders will turn up right about the same time DB Cooper turns up. Well, no, you know I'm with well I don't I, I'm with what Jeb said a while ago. I don't know if he still yeah, thinks this. They'll find it. They'll find it. Um, yeah, probably this shot too. And, and they found they've started another expedition just recently. They announced it some time ago, but apparently didn't actually start it till just now. There was some deal. They've got some some U.S. ship that's really good at searching the bottom or something like that. Um, I don't know if it's related, but this story in New York Times talks about. Um, uh, uh, the headline is a plan to send flight data somewhere off the plane, and this this you know issue has been kind of floating around ever since this crash and probably for before. The idea that flight data should not be recorded on board; it should be. Should may be, I go on? May I go on record right now to yes. say that this argument's already been lost or won, depending on your perspective. This is already being done. Now what we're talking about is the degree to which. Data. Talking about the, co- co- collected, about the quality of the data. Yeah. yeah. 
Trump yeah. the amount and the quality of the data. Right. Because obviously because, we did get some data uh, uploaded from this that's right. aircraft that's right. at the time. Because otherwise we'd know nothing about what happened. Um, but uh, so do you think that this we'd is going to – Okay, so it's scratching our CFMs wondering where the fans fell. So it's not a question of – it is a question of degree. How quickly do you think it will change? Uh, uh, about as quick as technology and the approval process will let it change. Yeah. yeah. Jeb, what uh, do you think? You got you got two issues um as far as, you know, moving ahead on such a thing right now. Uh one is um just the amount of data that's good, that would be transmitted. If you yeah. if you're going to transmit uh, all the parameters real time from a modern digital flight recorder, um you you pretty much by definition have to use satellite technology to do that. Yep. Um Certainly, over over land masses, you can do it. Um, you know, with with something other than satellites, but um, over vast expanses of the oceans, like in in Air France four four seven, you pretty much have to do it via satellite. So right away, you've got a bandwidth issue. You've also got an expense issue because satellite time is not cheap, even today. Um, the third thing, or the second thing, you've got a uh, you've just got a logistics problem on on wiring up the airplanes and, and making sure the antennas are good and all that kind of thing. The third and final thing is analyzing the data and how, how, it's, how that data is going to be analyzed. And I think that's really where the, the battle is going to be. That's where the fight is. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're seeing that domestically here um, in, in something that's kind of been around for a while also, which is, is putting video cameras in cockpits. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, the pilots are up in arms about this, and the, and the safety, the point, pointy-headed safety wonks are, are running around. You know, we got to have video cameras. We got, we got to do this. We got to do that. And you know, I don't know that we do have to do that because uh, this is the first episode, and it's not finished yet. But this is the first accident episode where we've, uh, we've had a modern jetliner, and we've not been able to determine a probable cause because we can't find the recorders. We'll find the recorders. They're there. It's just a matter of finding them. Uh, and we will get to the bottom of this. Uh, in the meantime, we have a lot of pretty good leads, and, and many of those leads we've discussed on the podcast in previous episodes. Yeah. Is there any recent new data, or is it, is it has now, it been? There isn't. There's, there's a second, I won't say second, it's a, maybe a follow-up report from the, the French um, um, counterpart to the NTSB. I have not looked at it, um, but it... It doesn't really say anything new. Uh, it, may, it might expand upon a few things, but it doesn't really say anything new from, from the report that was issued, I want to say, around uh, August or, or Labor Day or something like that of last year, where um, they, they decided or determined, based on some of the, uh, the wreckage and fracture patterns and whatnot, that the airplane hit the water mostly intact, slight nose-up attitude with some rotation. In other words, it basically stalled and spun from flight level 350 all the way to the water. Yeah. Um, and, well, that's a lot of time to spend weightless. They're saying, they're saying f- four minutes. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, additional, and there was a, there was a story in uh, uh, Der Spiegel, or Spiegel, the, uh, the German uh, magazine, here over the last couple of weeks that, um, although it was pretty abysmally written, it did kind of link together um, some of the accident report data coming out of the French uh, um, uh, agency and um, told a, a little bit more 
I don't know, a little bit more uh, dramatic, if you will, story of, of what likely had happened here and, and um, drew some conclusions that some other resources kind of have, have hinted about but have never really come out and said. And, uh, for example, um, um, you know, remember that the, cap- the captain of the flight was one of the bodies recovered, one of 50 bodies recovered out of uh, 228 on board the airplane, um, which leads people to conclude that, A, he was um, not in the cockpit at the time, and his body apparently did not show any signs of uh, 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 injuries sustained by having been belted in. So it's kind of thinking that the thinking is that he was in the in the rest area, and um, the oh. the second and third co-pilots or the first and second co-pilot uh, were, were the were ones on the flight deck. Yeah. Right. Um, another another little factoid: um, none of the cabin crew seats that they found had showed evidence of having of the belts having been buckled. In other words, the cabin crew were not in their seats when the airplane hit the water. Hmm. Um, it, like 38 Gs was the estimated impact force, things like that, that um, uh, have kind of uh, haven't really come to light as far as uh, some of the more traditional sources on this accident. Um, but I, I, coming back full circle here in this conversation, one, they will find these recorders. Two, the real issue is what to do with all this data and who's going to uh, um, uh, use it. And, right. and, I, and, and how it's going to be used. used. And how it's going to be used and for what purposes. If you it's, know, it's, if it's if, stored until the flight lands and taxis to the gate and then it's dumped, uh, that's one thing. But no no one in their right mind believes that's ever going to happen. Yeah. Well, uh, that, that's where the fight's going to be because right. if the data were stored... And as you say, dumped or overwritten, uh, like a conventional uh, uh, flight data recorder, or the old-fashioned ones at least. Well, even in modern ones, the data is overwritten. It's you know they they don't keep everything forever. Uh, that's going to be a less difficult sell than now we're going to keep it forever and we're going to submit that data to computer algorithms to see if anybody's doing anything unsafe there that might possibly lead to an unsafe practice or, well, we're going to look at old data to see if the way people behave is somehow or another linked to leading to accidents. And that's where you start to get in, you know, as the man says, that's where the fight starts. All right. right. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. What body will would be the one that would require this new equipment? It's not an FAA thing because it's an international thing, right? How does that well, work? Well, well no, it, it would be uh, it would be FAA. ICAO certainly would set standards, and, and ICAO, of course, is the International Civil Aviation Organization. I, ICAO would certainly set some standards out of this, but mainly it would it would be left to each country's um, aviation agency, as in the FAA in the U.S., to determine what standards aircraft uh, are registered in its, in that country and or. Uh, operating under its regulations in its airspace must comply with. I see. Okay. And, and uh, ICAO uh, could have a lot more influence over international connections right. than it can domestic traffic, which means that there could be standards set by the international community for flights connecting international destinations that would have zero effect on domestic traffic. 
because the you know the whole authorities simply decided they weren't going to go that far. Yeah, and uh, and and then you know that that's what that that's the standard that affects the folks that are only fly within their borders. Yeah. Moving on, take a drink. Um, so, uh, David, I you called. You called our attention, David, to um, a story about uh, the Flight Designs uh, LSA uh, program uh, that uh, they've mandated or they've created a specialized uh, training syllabus. Uh, you know, and I guess is this related to this whole thing about it's turning out to be a little bit harder for existing private pilots to transition into LSAs than we thought, or what's this all about? Well, it's it's not that you, you're you're pretty close to the the nub there. Jack, uh, back in the hairy, scary days of ultralights, 30 years ago, the NTSB spent a year evaluating and researching and studying accidents and surveying pilots. And what they found for the ultralight community in the very early 1980s was the pilots that were flying ultralights, and that was the first thing that they learned to fly. They're coming up through ultralights. Had a better safety record than the pilots flying ultralights who had transitioned from FAR 23 CAR 3 airplanes, guys that already had pilot's licenses. We've seen some of that in the light sport community, and that's not surprising. Uh, it, it's all that, not all that different from the guy coming out of a 182 into a Taylor craft. He's got to unlearn some things and learn some new things. So flight design, uh, which market's arguably the best-selling light sport aircraft on the market right now, the CTLS, they uh, came up with a training syllabus for their affiliated flight schools focused on transition training for the licensed pilot who's been flying larger, heavier, faster airplanes to transition into light sport aircraft. Uh, it was a coming thing anyway, folks. I mean, insurance underwriters were starting to require more transition training for guys with private pilot's license buying policies on new light sport aircraft than they were on the same aircraft being insured by guys that had just gotten their sport pilot certificate. That There's a message there, guys. There's mm-hmm. a message there. Uh, it's borne out in some of the safety stats already. Uh, and it's just common sense because we already, as a, as, as a community, kind of enforce a culture of thinking that transition training is a smart thing to do anytime we change category or the nature of aircraft we're flying. When you come out of a Cherokee or a Skyhawk into a 210, a Comanche, or a Bonanza, something where wheels go up and down and propellers change pitch and all that, there's some extra training involved there. Mm-hmm. And some extra performance requirements enforced by the FAA and the insurance community has long recognized that that guy who's just transitioned from fixed gear, fixed prop into something complex and high performance is a higher risk for about the next 100 hours. You'll know that because it shows up in your insurance premium. Yeah. 
<laughs> so they've been requiring extra training all along. So somehow there's this, I think it's a cultural thing, that moving down is less problematic. There's something in our mind that says, oh, well, well, I've flown those little things. Yeah. There's nothing you can teach me about those little things that I don't already know. Thump my chest, I fly retracts with controllable props <laughs> and go booga booga. And suddenly they're down in air speeds and wing loadings where rotor turbulence that wouldn't even make a bonanza bump wouldn't even make a 182 go, what? Yeah. Uh, suddenly makes these little airplanes kind of go, holy crap. Uh, airspeed controls more involved. Some of them have much cleaner airframes. They go farther on a foot of air. Uh, means that approaches have to be flown a little bit differently. Speed control gets to be more of an issue. Uh, windows for being sloppy go away. So that's what the folks at Flight Design have, uh, in my opinion, very wisely done. It's created a special syllabus for nummies like me that might be coming down from a 4,000-pound airplane to a 1,300-pound airplane. Right. From 300 horsepower to 100 horsepower and get to exposure to the specific and nuanced differences between the two with the goal of not bending or breaking anything. Right, right. Jeb, anything you want to add to that? No, thanks. Okay. Um, interesting post in the forums. Uh, I apologize, guys. I'm jumping around in the list here. Keep up. Uh, let's see now. Interesting post in the forums. <laughs> Come um, here and say that. Someone, Let me see. I want to be a Navy pilot by no, a fifth grader? No, no. We're coming back to that. I'm saving ah. that one. I'm saving that one. Origin of pilot checklists. I don't know if this is true. It's an interesting story, though. Uh, yeah, I don't know if this is true either. I, I've heard this before and, uh, in fact, came across this independently recently. Uh, yeah, let me uh, just quickly summarize. Um, listener J.M. Downey in the forums tells a story, and it's kind of a longish story. I won't tell, read it all, but uh, the basic story here, if I correct me if I've got this wrong, is that during uh, back in the days when they were building what appears to be the B-17, they just referred to it as a flying fortress. Um, that is the B-17. One of those uh, uh, big aircraft, um, com complex in terms of being more complicated, more engines and so forth and so on. Um, and some of the early test flights went horribly wrong, and they concluded it was because, basically, there was just too much procedure going on for the pilots to do from out of their head. And so they decided to start using checklists. And uh, and as a result, and, and it stuck. Um, and... Uh, so uh interesting story um you know it, it you know I, I haven't heard it in a while but there was a period many years ago where where a forum that I was an aviation forum that I was following um would would regularly have um a thread where pilots were going back and forth on the question of which was better to go to read a checklist and go item by item on a printed checklist or to have memorized the procedures do, do you guys have an opinion on this subject Depends on on the phase of flight you're in, and and depends on the airplane. But uh, generally speaking, um, I use both. Right. Okay. Uh, I use a, a printed checklist for takeoff. Once I'm airborne, unless uh, unless I'm in an abnormal or emergency situation, uh, I use memory items. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll, I'll use a flow also. Um, um, 
I get the top, you know, top of the climb, and I'm setting up cruise. Well, okay, I, I know I've got to do X, Y, and Z to get the engine uh, to run like I want it, to get the fuel flow down to what I want it, to get the airplane configured like I want it for cruise. Uh, for landing, um, yeah, let's see. I got to have the gear down. Let's start with that. Um, I got to have the gas on a full tank. Uh, mixture and prop uh, kind of sort of take care of themselves, but I might manipulate them a little bit. Um, might adjust some other things and and uh, and land. Yeah. Um, once you start with a known quantity, i.e., uh, um, a takeoff checklist or a pre-taxi checklist or or something like that, you do your run-up and everything like that. Pretty much everything's at least on the airplanes I fly. Pretty much everything's set. And after that, you you kind of go to a flow or you go to memory items. Right. Now, for myself, and I certainly fly much less complicated aircraft than you guys do, but uh, I pretty religiously use printed checklists up to the point where I taxi across the whole short line. Mm-hmm. And uh, from that point on, I, I do almost everything from memory until the point where I get to shut down. And I usually pick up the checklist at the point where I'm, I'm now parked in the spot and I'm starting to shut down the airplane. Um, that's 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 a very close approximation of mine. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, having said There's that, I wish sometimes I would like to get into the habit of using a checklist, maybe from the time I'm get kind of in range. Um, sometimes I worry that I'm missing things and not getting the airplane set up quite right, and maybe get a little behind the airplane. Not that I necessarily miss things, but but that I get a little behind because I don't do it from a list. Sometimes I wish that I used a printed checklist, you know, like on downwind or something like that, just to kind of make sure I had all my ducks lined up. But uh, I'm sorry, well, there, David, there, there, I, I interrupted there's, there's you. There's a category of airplane. A lot of the old Car 3 airplanes. The predecessor to FAR 23. Uh, a basic checklist was actually silk screened on the instrument panel. Yeah. You know, well, take off, landing. You've got a lot yeah. of the Pipers, for example, uh, you know, even the, uh, I don't know about the Part 23 versus, versus Car 3, but um, a lot of the Cherokees had embossed on, on the panel. Uh, a pre-takeoff and a pre-landing checklist. I don't know about Comanches. Uh, Apaches, Comanches, yeah. Cherokees. They all did. Yeah. Uh, and my attitude was that this is a familiarity-driven answer. Uh, if it's my personal airplane that I'm flying, you know, umpteen hundred hours uh, a year, uh, I keep the checklist handy for reference. Uh most of it, though, and this drove my wife crazy, most of it went down according to muscle memory and right. experience. Bing, bing, bing. I could go down the list. I could get all done. Then I'd look down at the checklist and go, yeah, I did that. 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 Right. As opposed to I look at the list. I do that. I look at the list. I do that. I look Because a lot of the pre-departure flow worked a lot better if I just went bing, 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 bing. Oh, bag check left. I'm not going to look at the checklist for that. Bag check left, bag check right, back on both, cycle the prop. Then I'll look at the list. Okay, I've done that. And out past the whole short line. I better bloody well know what my rotation speeds are, what my climb attitude is, what my climb air speeds are, and all. If I have to refer to a checklist for that crap, I'm I'm miles behind the airplane. Right. I'm right. sorry. I'm just and, way behind the airplane. And when I think of a flow, you know, a simple way to think of a, a flow uh, uh, method of uh, configuring the airplane is start in the upper left corner of the instrument panel. 
and work your way across to maybe the center section where the radios are. Drop down a little bit, work your way back across. Is are there any switches? Are there any adjustments that need to be made to these these instruments? Are there any switches that need to be configured? Uh, you know, whether we're talking landing lights or pitot heat or or fuel pump or, or whatever else, um, um, and work your way. You know, my my um, my memory items are, are okay. Let's see. Um, top of climb, uh, set up set up cruise power. Boom. Uh, retrim, boom. Set the autopilot, boom. Uh, make sure the strobes are on. Make sure the landing lights off. Uh, pitot heat as required. Uh, nav lights as required. You know, da 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 da. da. Uh, landing checklist is basically, you know, power kind of takes care of itself. Gas undercarriage, mixture prop. Uh, don't hit the tree at the top of the runway. Thank you for um, that. Thank you. For that. <laughs> <laughs> I just um, ended here yeah. going gumps, man, gumps. Yeah. Yeah, don't don't land on my hangar roof and and uh, miss the house there to the right and and boom, I'm home. Um, um, I don't know. You know, and the shutdown is basically all right. You know, I get the, I get the airplane where I want it. All right, uh, um, let's start start on the far side of the panel and start flicking stuff off. I leave one switch on just so I know that the I can I can tell at a glance whether the master switch is left on. Um, and uh, shut down this, make sure the cow flaps are open, uh, boom, boom. All right, pull the mixture, I'm done. Yeah, uh, well, this is an area, shutdowns an area where I became a big fan of uh, idiot lights, mm-hmm. enunciator lights. Right. Uh, I got an ammeter, but I also have an idiot light that tells me when the alternator's not making full amperage or voltage, or making too much, for that matter. Well, when you by, shut down the airplane, that little puppy flashes, and yeah. like, oh, don't forget to turn off the master switch. Same way for the low suction light on yeah, the wait, standby mine, suction system. It wait, flashes. Mine is, is uh, yeah, if either suction or or um, um, system draw on the battery gets too great, and and you know if the vacuum is too low, um, okay, I need to bump the, the excuse me the RPM a little bit. If the load is too great, I'll get a flashing light for that also. And I have a choice. I can shed load or I can increase the RPM to get the alternator back online. And when I get those lights and the engine's not running, I remember to turn off the master right. switch. Ho- hopefully, you know, you're, you're on the ground and parked by then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, yeah. So it's a mixture. It's yeah. a mixture. Yeah. Again, don't. You guys have the benefit, by the way. I, I will say, you guys have the benefit of flying the same airplane all the time. Yeah, I, I, and, and those of us who jump around. Um, yeah, it's it, a hugely it's, uh, uh, important distinction. Uh, the um, keeping you up. The other Jeff? caveat. So, yeah, the other caveat here is um, um, abnormals and emergencies. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember. I often think about this emergency checklist issue. Go ahead. Yeah. I remember, uh, I don't know, several years ago, um, uh, Lee, uh, my, my mechanic, excuse me, the man in black, man in black. satanic <laughs> mechanic. Thank you. Who, who, by the way, is, is a house guest this week. Um, but, Hi, Lee. Uh, yeah. Um, we uh, had just finished an annual and um, just buttoned the airplane back up and, and uh, um, so let's go around the patch, make sure everything's going to fly in close formation. And um, took off out of Manassas and uh, reached over and pulled the gear up. And gear came up about halfway and stopped. Well, that's always what you like to see. And, well, that's, that's not what we intended. <laughs> <laughs> H- 
how dare it? <laughs> and uh, um, Lee says, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to tell the tower that we have a little gear problem here, and can we go somewhere in a circle for a few minutes while we get it sorted out? He says, then what are you going to do? He says, well, then I'm going to ask you, while I fly the airplane, I'm going to ask you to reach in the back, get out the POH, turn, open up a little red tab there where it says emergency procedures and go to the landing gear emergency extended extension procedure. And we're going to run that checklist. And he says, Oh, okay. And that's exactly what we did. And we got a green light and we came back and landed and, and discovered that when you replace the brushes in the landing gear motor, you're supposed to run them in, not just <laughs> put them in. Oops. Oops. And, and uh, that fixed, wasn't on the checklist. That wasn't on the checklist. That, that wasn't but on they the checklist came back down like you needed them to. That's right. Yeah. Anyways, all right. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay, moving on here. Um, one last item here before we go to, ch- to shout-outs. Um, yes, yes, David, you're absolutely right. Um, from the mouths of babes. Uh, we have uh, another item from the forums here. Let's see if I can find it again. Um, this is uh, an item. Oh, another item posted by J.M. Downey. Um, he's posted um, a little, apparently an essay written by, uh, apparently by a fifth grader um, titled, I Want to Be a Navy Pilot. And uh, it's, a, it's medium long, but it's good. I'm going to read it here. I, I want to be a Navy pilot when I grow up because it's fun and easy to do. Pilots don't need much school. They just have to learn numbers so they can read instruments. I guess they should be able to read maps so they can find their way if they're lost. It says uh, pilots should be brave so that they won't be scared if it's foggy and they can see if uh, if see or they can't see a wing or, or a motor or, or, it falls it, off. Yeah, if it falls off, or 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 they should stay calm so they'll know what to do. Pilots need need to have good eyes so they can see through the clouds, and they can't be afraid of lightning or thunder because they're closer to them than we are. The salary pilots make is another thing I like. They make more money than they can spend. They make more money than they can spend. Apparently haven't spoken to the regionals recently. Uh, this is because most people think airplane flying is dangerous, except pilots don't because they know how easy it is. There isn't much I don't like, except uh, girls like pilots and all the stewardesses want to marry them, so they always have to chase them away so they won't bother them. And the last line, I, I hope I don't get airsick, because if I do, I couldn't be a pilot, and I would have to go to work for a living. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> this is great. This is great. I'm not even sure if I believe it's really a, f- a fifth grader, but I hope it is. I hope it is. I, I, I've, I think this is an adaptation of something that's a little bit uh, dated I've seen before. Is it really? This yeah. is nonetheless very good. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, thanks to J.M. Downey for putting it up. Yeah, so it's really good. I really appreciate that. We should get a kid to read it, and we'll put it on the on the podcast. So, anyways. <laughs> to be a navy pilot yeah there you go but i know what because it's fun yeah. and easy to do right. we don't need a kid we have higdon we have higdon i know um shout outs uh i want to thank uh the listeners who came to our recent uh, ucap uh, northeast uh, meetup in nashua we got together once again for brunch at uh, nashua's boar i guess that's how they pronounce it everybody just calls it nashua airport um and uh, uh alpha sierra hotel and uh we had a nice time uh hanging out and talking about airplanes we had breakfast and we went out into the ramp and and checked out everybody's airplanes um and uh we had a, had a good old time and i really appreciate them coming out i, I enjoy those a lot and and uh, I want a special thanks to uh, 
um, to uh, listener Jim G, who, first of all, put in a surprise visit. He's from Philadelphia. He got the award for coming from the furthest distance. It was a beautiful day. I mean, it was just a to-die-for beautiful day, and the visibility was like a billion miles. And uh, and uh, when when the day you know broke beautiful, he decided to jump in his airplane and come up from Philadelphia. And uh, Good for him. In his 182. And, uh, and, and afterwards, we were kind of comparing notes and looking at all the airplanes, and, uh, and he was getting, you know, kind of getting things ready. And, and, and I've been, you know, 182 is kind of the leading candidate on my list of, of possible airplanes to buy. And so I was kind of looking at it more closely. And at one point, I said, you know, I said, would you mind? And I knew he wouldn't mind, but I wanted to ask, can I, can I climb into the left seat just to kind of feel it? And he says, oh, yeah, absolutely. He says, well, wait, you want to go for a ride? And I go, um, let me think about it. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> Twist my arm. Yeah, really. So I climbed into the right seat, um, but uh, we went for a great airplane ride, and I want to thank him for that. Uh, we flew from Nashua. We headed north uh, in New Hampshire and flew almost all the way up to uh, Mount Washington. Uh, Jim has a uh, has a, uh, a home uh, up in uh, near Conway, New North Conway, New Hampshire, um, and he actually has a little private strip up there, and uh, and he wanted to go and kind of check it out. He wasn't able. It, it hasn't. It isn't effectively plowed in the wintertime, so he isn't able to land there during the winter. But he wanted to kind of overfly it and just kind of see what's going on. And so we flew up over New Hampshire and over Lake Winnipesaukee and in among the hills just south of uh, Mount Washington and uh, and did a couple sort of not low passes, but kind of medium low passes over his his, uh, his runway and his area there. And it was great. And uh, and then flew back down south and, and did some other sightseeing. It was a great day. It was awesome. I mean, the, the brunch would have been great all by itself. The ride with Jim was just the frosting on the cake. It was really terrific. And, uh, and I want to thank him for that. One thing I wanted to comment, though, and this is going to make it a little longer than a shout out. Flying in the 182 was very comfortable. It was very nice. It was just obvious. You know, I mean, it, it, what I expected, no, no different than I expected. One thing that was a little surprising, and I don't know whether Jim was kind of going for more of a VX than a VY, all right, but the deck angle when we were climbing out was kind of dramatic. And I don't know, if you guys know anything about it, is that typical of a 182? Is it just because it's such a powerful aircraft that it, that's the way it works? I mean, it really felt like we were aiming to the sky. I mean, we had nose up. Well, it'll climb at a low enough airspeed that you can uh, kind of block your view ahead oh, with yeah. cowling if you want. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, there was no question. We weren't seeing ahead. I, I mean, I we, would call that cruise climb. Yeah. But if you needed it for obstacle clearance... Uh, you know the the the, the sky lane will definitely give it to you if you need it. Yeah, yeah, and we were and and or according to the VSI, we were getting nearly fifteen hundred feet a minute. I mean, we were going up. All right, um, and uh, you know, and I and and although well, I be- had he had a little work done on that airplane. Oh, he takes good care of it. I don't know whether... I mean, like... Does that have a stock engine upgrade? I don't recall. I I should know that, and I'm afraid I don't know. Um, well. On a fairly cold day, like I guess it probably was. And, well, it, was, uh, it wasn't warm, but it wasn't, yeah. yeah. Uh, lightly loaded. Um, uh, 182 will do no, quite nicely coming off the runway. Oh, yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I wasn't well. there. I wasn't there, so I suspect that uh, he was probably doing a VX. And, and, uh, that well, might Jim, be G, Jim G's not exactly the incredible Hulk body stature-wise. So, yeah. So you we know, were the getting, two of you. Yeah. The two of you don't come up to one professional wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very nice. It's absolutely absolutely true of Jim. You're being very kind to me, but um, that's another story. Um, anyways, thanks to all the listeners who came to the meetup. Thanks to Jim for the great airplane ride, and uh, and that's my shout out there. What do you guys got? 
in, in, Peter Graves uh-huh. uh, passed this week. And uh, um, I guess, you know, I, I grew up watching him on Mission Impossible and, and all that. But I, I think the uh, uh, his, his signature role was as, as Captain Over uh, in uh, Airplane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. And um, just, you know, the way he deadpanned the whole, his whole role and, and uh, uh, just, uh, just one of those uh, uh, fond memories I have. And uh, just note in passing that he passed this week. And uh, uh, just thanks for the memories. Yeah. David, what do you got? Well, you know, we hear in some venues in American public discourse just how abysmal anything that the federal government does is performed. You know, can't do anything right. They're terrible at everything. Uh, you know, couldn't find their butt with both hands, yada, yada, yada. So this is my, uh, this is my wingtip to the folks in Oklahoma City who somehow or another managed to very accurately, precisely, and quickly process my conversion from a paper pilot certificate to the new plastic one that is required by the end of this month. You, have, a, says, you, have, a, you have an odd fascination. This is really a thing for you, isn't it? This is like, you, you I don't know, this plastic. Yeah, have I, I done this before? No, you haven't, but you, you made a big deal out of the fact that you were getting it, and then you put it on the here, list that you wanted to talk about that, that you got it. Here, here's my question. Did yeah. you finally get your ATP out of the whole thing? Well, you know, not only that, I got my free balloon because I figured they, they noticed I was an airhead. But, uh, no, this thing turned around in nine days. Uh-huh. It was done properly. Uh, it was done very accurately. It was done very quickly. Uh, in interviewing a couple of gentlemen who are private sector business owners in Oklahoma City, who work day-to-day, elbow-to-elbow with FAA people in the records division. I got a lot of really nice things out of those guys, volunteered on their part. It's not going to make their business any easier or any, any, any harder that, uh, that they were complimentary to this. It just stuck out in me that the, the day that my new license came, the plastic one that says English Proficient, uh, that along with my Kansas driver's license will make me legal next time I have to show it. Uh, that all this stuff happened click, 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 just like it was supposed to. The same day that I got a big mailer from some organization asking me to donate money, whose big argument was how abysmally the federal government employees handle everything. They couldn't do anything right. Everything was wrong. Uh, it was all badly done. It cost too much money. It took much time. And this didn't cost me any money. And it happened in nine days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So somebody's impression is at great odds with my personal experience. That's what I wanted to point out. Credit where credit is due. You're absolutely right. right. There you go. Let me see if I can get a couple more in squeeze in here so we don't have to hold them off till later on. Um, earlier in the podcast, we were having a little bit of fun at the expense of helicopters. Um, um, but uh, um, 
I, uh, we got a posting in the forums here from uh, a, a listener who's a really good friend of the podcast who goes by the name of Turbo Ed. Uh, Turbo Ed is, a, among other things, an R. Robinson R44 pilot and gave me a great ride a while back that, uh, I, you know, as a result, I should never make fun of helicopters. I, I, if I could afford helicopters, I'd fly them. Anyways. Um, helicopters don't fly. They beat the air into submission. Okay. So the two They're of you- so ugly, the earth repels them. That's the only way they can get off the ground. Turbo Ed tells us in the forums uh, he wanted to call our attention to the fact that there is apparently a weekly fly-in breakfast at Sebring, Florida, and uh, he's he's sort of he's partly up here in the Northeast and partly down there in Florida, and apparently he's down there now. And he just wanted to call attention to the fact that uh, there's a group that goes to uh, Sebring, Florida airport every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. and everybody's invited, and you should just go on down and, and show up and have breakfast with that gang. Sounds like Wednesdays. A lot of fun. It's what he says here in the forum posting. Wednesdays. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one. Let's see now. What's the next one here? Where are we here? The next one is, I think it's another forum thing. Yeah. So from Andrew. Wednesday morning. Like, he's, he said, yeah, did he oh, say yeah. 8 a.m.? Oh, I get it now. Yeah, right. I get it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, quick, uh, this is just repeating something that's in the forums. Andrew B. calls our attention to the fact that he wanted to make a quick shout out to Robert and I'm Trink or Trinkay. Um, who received the Wright Brothers Master Pilots Award from the FAA recently. And uh, there's more about him here, but we just wanted to congratulate uh, uh, Robert uh, Trinquet for, uh, for m- making this or reaching this, this, uh, this uh, accomplishment. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And then finally, we want to... Th- Before you go on, Jack, yeah? we just want you to know everybody's here is counting on you. Thank you. North Dakota. Yay, North Dakota. Uh, North Dakota has uh, recently, this is from a story in AOPA.org website, uh, North Dakota honors aviation. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the state of, of uh, North Dakota recently uh, recognized that aviation contributes $1.25 billion each year to the North Dakota economy and provides important services such as emergency ambulance flights. This is the governor uh, and the uh, lieutenant governor uh, speaking at a, an event recently. And uh, we want to thank the uh, state of North Dakota for, uh, for recognizing what's been going on all along. Jack. Yeah. Have you ever been in a Turkish prison? Have you ever been stung by a dead bee? This is going right over my head, guys. I'm not sure what it is you're referring to. Why? Am I missing something? Not yet, but you will when you get stung by a dead bee. Yeah, I know. What was his name? Um, Because he was on The Real McCoys. Um, (laughs) Walter Brennan? Walter Brennan. He's what the about one, it? He's the one who read that. He spoke that line. To, to have and have not. Exactly. Great, great, uh, uh, great uh, uh, Humphrey Bogart movie. Was that the same movie that uh, you know how to how to whistle? I think it was. You know how to whistle, yeah. Steve. Yeah. You just put your lips together and blow. And and it Lauren just and it sounds so much. Age eighteen makes it sound so much better <laughs> yeah, than I, I ever will. All right, definitely time to stick a fork yeah, in this. It one. loses something in the translation. One other thing, real quickly yeah, before before yep. we go out of here, another reminder. Oh yeah, please. The Great Southeast UCAP Meetup 2.0, Saturday, April 11, 1300 East Coast time. Venice Airport, Victor November Charlie, Honoluana Cafe mm-hmm. on the airport. Be there. Sounds great. And if if okay. if okay. you're there, okay. you might you just might have the benefit of all of 
even you might have the benefit of all of the regulars for a UCAP and maybe even one or two of the irregulars. That's right. It's going to be quite a that, gathering. That's a, that's a threat rather than a promise. It is. Let it me is. Just, let me just mention one thing. Yeah. And, and I do this only out of an accuracy fetish of mine. That Saturday would be April 10. You're right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I, you. Okay. I just I, didn't I'm, want some of us showing 13, up. 13, 12. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Thank you. My, my math challenge this evening. Um, Lee found some <clears throat> some Australian champagne at a very good price. <laughs> <laughs> but Saturday, April 10, there's the very distinct threat of all three UCAP mainstays being on site at the same time. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Okay. And we might even fly. Yeah. Yeah. With an airplane. That's right. With, a, with, with an airplane. <laughs> Time to stick a fork in this one. Let's wrap this thing oh, up. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Jeb Burnside uh, is an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, please don't. Please don't. <laughs> uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com. Um, uh, JEBurnside.com. Uh, occasionally at uh, avweb.com and occasionally at uh, aviationconsumer.com. Yeah, okay. And uh, Dave Higdon, who uh, is a good sport and kind of hung in there with his duffed-up nose, uh, is an aviation photographer and also an aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. I picked up two copies of your magazine uh, recently, David. You're really in there. Boy, I'm telling you, I don't know what they do without you. It, it's, you just got byline two, three, four articles in every issue. So uh, uh, this is where I say, thank you, Sean. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> thank you, Matt. Uh, thank you, Patty. Uh, thank the Academy. Avbuyer.com, Dave Higdon.biz, AEA.net, Aviation Safety.com occasionally. Uh, or just Google me and read some of the old stuff. Take potluck. But be forewarned, I'm not the golf guy, nor the theoretical physicist, although I have some theories about that. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at uh, jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. And soon to appear in Lima Alpha Lima. We want to thank Jeff Ward for uh, putting in the work every week for creating our show notes. We also want to thank uh, Roy Searle and Mike Morgan and the many other listeners who have created our show opening disclaimer clips. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new readings, webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? Live longer through aviation because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. That's right. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Billy, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now I radio clearance over. That's Clarence over. Over. Roger. Huh?